welcome to Song and Plants. My name is Carmen Porter. Ipomoeae batatis has a history of cultivation that spans at least 5,000 years. The sweet potato and the potato, Solanum tuberosum, are not actually closely related. The etymology of potato comes from when the Spanish brought the sweet potato to Europe from the Americas in the 1500s. A common name from its native lands was batata, which became patata and eventually potato. You say potato, I say batatas. In this episode, I was joined by Kate Garvey of Heartbeat Farm to discuss this fascinating and delicious root vegetable. She's doing amazing work using traditional breeding methods to develop varieties that are adapted for smaller scale growers and shorter growing seasons. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Song and Plants. Would you mind introducing yourself? Thanks, yeah. My name is Kate Garvey, and I run Heartbeat Farm. I started Heartbeat Farm five years ago on rented land, and then my partner David, who's also a farmer, joined uh, Heartbeat Farm, and we purchased a permanent location last year in North Augusta, Ontario. Uh, North Augusta is on the traditional territories of the Anishinaabeg, the Huron-Wendat, and Haudenosaunee people. And we grow a lot of different vegetables for a summer and fall CSA program. And then we also specialize in sweet potatoes that are locally adapted to our region and sell sweet potato slips. Beautiful. And what got you interested in growing sweet potatoes? It all started because I got to know Tel St. Andrews of Astrolane Edibles. And I was actually at the time working for a community organization that was putting in a grant application for improving food security in the Ottawa region. And sweet potatoes are a high calorie crop with excellent storage potential. So Telsine and I wrote a grant application for support for sweet potatoes and potato breeding project. And we didn't actually get the funding, but because Telsine is amazing, she just carried on without it. Um, yeah, and she got me hooked on them. So can you tell me a little bit about the sweet potato plant? How would you describe it to somebody if they'd never seen what the plant looks like? Yeah, so it's a vining plant. It's a member of the morning glory family. Actually, it can be a perennial grown in tropical climate. My friend who grew up on a farm in Hong Kong was just telling me yesterday how when they harvested their sweet potatoes, they would just cut off a piece of the vine and stick it back in the ground. But in this region, obviously, that's not possible. Sweet potatoes are roots that grow under the ground. I call them tubers often, but they actually are not tubers like a potato. They are true roots like a carrot. Do they flower regularly? Do they flower every year? What's the type of flower? They flower every year. They require a lot of heat to do that. So in our region, it can be challenging to get them to, to flower and set seed in our short season. The flower is often purple and white. It's very pretty and attracts lots of bees. Do you know what the native range is for a sweet potato? Traditionally, they're a tropical plant. They grow sort of in central, southern America. And right now, Most of the production in North America would be in the southern states. So there's a lot of production in 
North Carolina, and that's where we source our sweet potatoes lips from in Ontario and across Canada. And I think actually right now in the world, China is the biggest producer of sweet potatoes. How do the Asian or American ones, how, how do they differ in terms of the selections that they've done? Has the plant become quite different because of the different types of regions that they're being grown in and the different peoples that have been selecting for them? Yeah, good question. In North America, we definitely prefer the sweet, moist orange flesh varieties. And then Asian varieties, there's definitely more diversity that people grow, but there's also a lot of purple and white flesh, and those tend to be starchier, sort of more similar to a potato. And then there are also really good in baking and desserts, actually. I've heard they also use the leaves quite a lot in Asian cooking. Yeah, they can be used in cooking for sure. They're often compared to spinach, and I think... They are very prolific when they grow, so they're an excellent source of food when there's limited other options. So I've heard some people say that they grew up on sweet potatoes, leaves, but they don't really have any interest in eating them now. But I've also had people call me just looking for sweet potato vines to cook up. And there's actually discussion with someone else I know who we're talking about selecting specifically for nice edible vines. Have you found in your process that some do produce a lot more vines than others? Yeah, so in my process, almost all of the, the varieties that we've grown from true seed have had very long vines, which for market gardeners can actually be a problem, depending on your bed width and what kind of space you're trying to fit them into, and if you're planting a row in between other crops. So there's one variety that we've grown from true seed that is actually very short vines. So I'm trying to collect true seed from that one to see if we can keep that trait as we breed other varieties. And it's also a totally different leaf shape, which is really cool. Do you find the ones with longer vines produce less root crop? No, I haven't found that. And I try to lift the vines occasionally so that they don't root at other nodes so that all the energy is going into the roots right below the main stem. But I honestly don't know if that is an actual risk or not. It's just something that I do. Well, it's an interesting trial, especially for somewhere that has short season, because then you're focusing on less root production. So it can hopefully send more size and energy into those few instead of making a whole bunch along the stem. I was going to ask about that, actually, if you would trellis them. Yeah, I haven't. I think trellising them would be much too challenging on the scale that I'm growing on, but it would be beautiful to do. And some of them do grow more upright. I have one variety that grows and points upwards with the stems when it, before it flowers, which is really pretty. Mm. I think it would, in our region, you would never get a marketable size sweet potato from anywhere except for the main stem. Mm-hmm. if you did allow it to root. But it would be interesting to know if you can get marketable tubers if you were in a tropical region. I suspect yes, because you could just cut the vine and let it continue rooting there if it's a perennial. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest for people who are wanting to try growing sweet potatoes to start that process? If you can, find a local farmer who is growing sweet potatoes. 
so that you know that it's a variety that can grow in our area because a lot of the sweet potatoes in the grocery store are not necessarily a short number of days to maturity. They're likely coming up from the United States. So if you can find a local farmer, just buy some sweet potatoes and you can grow your own slips. So you want to start doing that in February or March. And there's lots of different ideas of how to grow your own slips. Some people have a lot of success putting the sweet potato half in water, suspending it in water. The best results that I've had and the way that I do it is I just lay them down in a tray of soil and sort of half bury them. And then within two to three weeks, as long as it's warm enough, they'll start sprouting for you and you can get dozens of, of slips off of one sweet potato. So in order to get it or harvest a slip or take a slip, you just break it off of the main tuber? Yeah, sometimes they will have formed roots down into the soil, which is a bonus. But yeah, you just want to snap it off right at the sweet potato. And then if there's no roots on it, I often first put it into a bit of water to, to grow a few roots. And then I'll put it into damp soil and just let it continue rooting until I'm ready to plant it out in the garden. Great. Do they like any particular soil type? When you're going to plant them out, how do you prepare your, your garden? Mm -hmm. So they definitely prefer sandy soil, but I would say don't let that stop you because I've been growing them in clay soil for the last five years. You just want to make sure that it's really well worked so that you don't have compaction issues and you will still get sweet potatoes. They might just be funky shapes. The key is to not plant them out until it's warm enough. If the soil is too cold or the night temperatures drop below 10 degrees, you're seriously impacting what sort of roots you'll get at the end um, to harvest. So you want to put some sort of compost down and then I would warm the soil by putting down black plastic or clear plastic. The clear plastic will increase the temperature by about 10 more degrees than the black plastic. It's not great for your soil biology, so I suggest changing the location that you plant your sweet potatoes every year, which would be a best practice anyway. And then once the soil has warmed up in sort of late May, early June, when your nighttime temperatures aren't dropping below 10 degrees, you can plant them out. Do you plant them into the plastic or do you take the plastic off at that point? Good question. I plant them into the plastic. So I just cut a little slip and then pop them in and pile some dirt onto the plastic so it's not flopping around damaging the stem. And then you can reuse the plastic. Yeah, I recommend if you're just doing a home garden or a large area, you can use a bit of vapor barrier or something and reuse it for years and years and years. Hmm. How often do you water? How wet do they like to be? At the beginning, you want to water regularly. They need at least an inch a week. Once they've set their roots, which can happen in the first few weeks it happens, then you can be a bit more sparing. Although you do want to make sure that, that if we have a really long stretch, like we have two of the last five years, we've had really long droughts in the middle of summer, they will go dormant. So you do want to keep watering at least occasionally, but you can be sparing. Or you don't need to water very often once they set roots after the first three to six weeks. And then when is time to harvest? How do you know when to dig them up? 
Mm -hmm. I suggest doing a test dig because some varieties can grow, they can almost double in size in the last two weeks, depending on how much heat you've had over the summer. So you want to look at the weather, but also do a test dig and just check them. If your weather isn't going to be too cold, you can always just cover them up with some row cover or plastic to keep them warm enough on a really cold night so that you do get some more growth. So you're not necessarily waiting for the vines to die back? No, you can't wait for an indicator on the top because sometimes they just won't flower or set seeds. So as much as it would be nice to wait for them to set seed, it's often too cold by the time you would be harvesting. So what you're looking at is the weather predominantly. And you want to get them out of the soil before the soil temperature drops. Look at your frost. If you have any hard frost coming up, you have to get them out. A sort of soft frost you could row cover and then you'll see damage on the leaves and then you should probably harvest within one week of that. And then I do recommend when you're harvesting to cut the vine just above the soil and remove the vines and then let them rest for at least a few days to a week and that allows the skin to toughen up a bit and then once the skin is a bit tougher it'll be easier to not damage them during harvest because that's one of the challenges oh. and so at that point when you're letting it rest does there need to be a particular temperature you still want to have the temperatures warmer than normal. When they're resting in the soil, you still want the temperature of the soil to be above 10 degrees. Basically, if you're going to have several cloudy days in a row and the temperature is below 5 degrees, you need to get them out of the ground, I would say. When you harvest them, you may not know that they're damaged by the cold until you try to store them. The best way to make sure that they're not damaged or to avoid damage just even as you're harvesting them if it's cool weather is within one to two hours of getting them out of the soil, you need to start curing them. So for curing, the ideal setup is 80 to 90% humidity and 28 to 30 degrees Celsius. That's really challenging for small scale growers. Yeah, that's quite warm. Yeah, it's quite warm and it's very humid. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of different ways that people have had success curing. I've heard of people putting uh, the sweet potatoes inside of a cooler with boiled water and then replacing the water every 12 hours. One way that I've done it when I was growing on a smaller scale is I put the sweet potatoes into paper bags and then the paper bags into garbage bags and then just put a heater in a small room with them. The sweet potatoes, when they're first curing, they release a lot of moisture. So they sort of, if they're inside of a bag, they'll help maintain that high humidity. But on a larger scale, you also want to have good air circulation. So that's when you sort of need to start humidifying the air and having fans blowing on them regularly. And do they give you any indication as to whether they're finished curing or do you just do it by the amount of time? I do by the amount of time, but also you can do a bit of a skin test. So when you harvest them, you'll notice that even if you just rub your thumb against the skin, it will come off. And then once they're cured, the skin has toughened up and you'll be able to tell the difference for sure. How do you store them? Yeah, definitely don't put them in your fridge or a cold cellar. 
they want to be above 12 degrees at all times. So the ideal temperature is around 15 degrees. But if they're a good size and they're cured, they can last at room temperature until the next year, basically. We were eating 2020 sweet potatoes in the beginning of 2022. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose if they store so well, then you can start your own slips. Exactly, yeah. You want to keep the healthiest looking sweet potatoes and the ones with the traits that you prefer. So if it's a nice, if it's a nice shape, yeah, keep those ones, even though they're tempting to eat, keep them yeah. and slip them yourself. <laughs> It'll be worth it in the long run, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Is the most effective way to select for your region by selecting the healthiest roots to slip, or would you recommend trying to also breed by seed? That's a good question. So I recommend if you're just starting out, if you're going to select the nicest sweet potato, and slip that it's still going to be a clone mm -hmm. so you're not adapting the sweet potato in any way you do need to use true seed if you're going to have new traits in your sweet potato i think the idea of true seed versus slipping can be intimidating but really if it goes to flower and you collect the seed it's really easy <laughs> just dry it out and that can just be leaving it out on the counter in a little glass for a little while until it's dry. And then the one tip is the seeds that you get, they're in a little pod that's round. And in tropical climates, you can get up to four seeds in that pod, but I've never had more than two viable seeds in a pod. Okay. And those two seeds, you want to just nick the seed coat when you're trying to germinate it because uh, it's quite thick, and the sweet potato can have a difficult time germinating if you don't just nick that. And when do you know when is the good time to harvest the pod? When are the seeds ripe? So you'll see that the pods have turned into, it's a little ball. Once it's a ball, you can harvest it when it's still green, and I often have to in our region because I'm harvesting at that point because the temperatures are dropping too cold, so it doesn't have time to dry on the vine. And also, once they're dry, they tend to drop off. So then you have no idea what plant it came from, or it's very difficult to find it in the mat of vines that you have. So once you have a nice, round, starting to dry seed pod, you can just break it off and dry it yourself is the best bet. And that normally happens at harvest time in this area. In order to have viable seed, do you need to have two different varieties? So sweet potatoes cannot self-pollinate. So you want to grow a whole whack of sweet potatoes if you can. And then <laughs> we found that different sweet potatoes are more likely to actually pollinate. And we haven't done any manual pollination. We've always relied on the bees. But the purple sweet potatoes tend to flower earlier and they tend to set better seed, I find. And they're much more prolific in how much seed they set. So a lot of the varieties that we're getting are purple, and then we've slowly selected the best varieties. 
some of the original sweet potatoes we started with, one of them was Georgia Jet, and out of the 60 new potential varieties we had from True Seed, only a few of them had orange flesh, which would be the, a Georgia Jet characteristic. So we were always excited when we found that. So the different colors of sweet potato can easily cross-pollinate? Yeah. So that's one of the really cool things about sweet potatoes is they're all cross-pollinating. So what you end up with when you grow from true seed is a total surprise. The dream scenario is to breed a sweet potato with purple and orange flesh (laughs) (laughs) at the same time. We've had a little bit of that, but the orange always disappears when you cook it. You don't you don't maintain the orange and purple once they're cooked. <laughs> um, so what traits are you looking for when you are selecting other than flesh color? Yeah, great question. So in 2019, when Telsine handed over the 60 varieties that she thought were promising that she had grown from true seed, I partnered with the EFAO, the Ecological Farmers Association of Ontario, and we worked together to come up with this list. And it was with the idea that we were trying to breed varieties that worked well for market gardeners specifically. That would mean similar needs to a home gardener where it would be hand harvesting over mechanical and a good number of marketable tubers. So All of the things that we looked at as we harvested each variety were ease of harvest, depending on if they're compact or a dispersed growing habit, because if they're right underneath the base of the plant, it's much easier to harvest and less likely to damage them as you harvest. Then we looked at flesh color, skin color, the tuber shape. So is it elongated, round or round elongate? Uh, Average size of the tuber, the number of tubers versus the number of marketable tubers. So you might get a plant that produces 40 tubers, but they're all really small um, versus a plant that only produces six tubers, but they're all a nice big size and marketable. And then we also looked at cracking, which can also just be from watering, but which ones were more likely to crack and then skin smoothness and texture. And then we also did a taste test three months after they were harvested for sweetness, fibrousness, appearance, and then just an overall impression rating. After curing and when you begin to store, is it best to wait before consuming your your sweet potatoes? Do they get better with time? Yes, absolutely. So curing them is creating sugars, and then they're sort of at their peak, people say, two to three months after curing. Okay. But you'll find that if you do just eat a sweet potato straight out of your garden, you'll be disappointed that they're a little bit starchy and not very sweet. And in our region, because we don't have a high number of degree days like they do down in the southern states, they're already a little less sweet. Is that also part of your program to be breeding sweet potatoes that will produce sweeter, more abundant in in the shorter season and potentially flower more? Yeah, so there's sort of two different tracks. There's the one track where we're selecting varieties that would be good for a market gardener, and then we're also selecting varieties that will be good to continue on the breeding project. So the sweet potatoes that we're selecting that were good for the breeding project are the ones that flower and set seed early on, but then the ones that are good for a market gardener, they don't need to set seed. A market gardener doesn't generally care if they flower and set seed in time, so it's just looking at the at the tubers 
So you've got kind of a double track going. Yeah, exactly. And it's been a very community-oriented project, especially since we were having land access issues and were sort of moving around last year. So the second year of the trial with the EFAO, there were two other farmers who joined me in growing the top 10 varieties that we had selected from the year before. And then last year, uh, a farmer down near Kingston grew a bunch of the varieties to make sure that none of them were lost since all three of us were having land access issues had first participated in 2020. And now we're sort of getting back on track and continuing with the breeding project. But seeds from true seeds that we've collected have gone out to people who are breeding for northern varieties that grow in a short number of degree days. We've I've sent them to the States on the West Coast. I've sent them to England. So there are people working on these breeding projects all over. Interesting. Are there any particular varieties that you have trialed or that are in development that you are most excited about? Kelsey had one that she had named out of all 60 that she handed me. It was named Magenta. And in my first year of trials, it didn't do very well, but I wanted to keep going with it. So I carried it on just on a very small scale. And then in the second year, it did incredibly. I also realized that has very short vines. So I'm actually really excited about this one. It's purple skin with purple and white flesh, sort of like mauve. And then the vines are very distinct and I'm really excited about it. It seems to grow quite well. I don't know why it didn't do well in my first year, but the last few years it's been doing really well. So I'm increasing production on that one. And then there's one that always produces huge tubers no matter what. If we get a really cold, wet year, sometimes they just don't do as well. But this one always has good-sized tubers, but they're not as prolific. But the flesh is really pale yellow, and then when you cook it, it turns a beautiful orange. So I love that one, even though it's not necessarily one that I'm going to market to other growers. (laughs) But yeah. And then I'm trying to maintain a diversity of skin and flesh color. Although the majority of people in this area are looking for the orange flesh. Hmm. Do you think that's just because of familiarity or do you think it has to do with flavor? I think it's both. Do you notice a difference between the flavor of the purple versus the orange? There's definitely a difference. And in the newer purple varieties, I selected one from True Seed that was purple in 2020. And it is quite sweet for a purple variety, I would say. And I'm really excited about that one as well. But definitely people are just used to the moist flavor. But we've also bred ones that people thought were too sweet. Really? So it really depends on people's taste buds, to be honest with you, and what people are used to. Was it an orange one or a purple one? That was too sweet was an orange one yeah and i think that in terms of what i've ended up with as like the top 10 it's also because purple ones tend to be more elongate and people prefer the round shape so what we've ended up with are a lot that have like the pale orange yellow flesh and then a few purple and one orange i think but i think in the breeding process the longer season purple ones got got weeded out in the variety trials, which is interesting because the purple ones flower earlier, but tend to take longer to size up. 
And the lighter color, like the white fleshed ones, they tend to be drier as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely have a couple that are more potato-y, but um, those haven't made it into the top 10, I would okay. say. Something that might be important to discuss is just what can people expect as challenges when growing sweet potato? Are there particular diseases or rodents that might raid your crop? Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky up here that a lot of the diseases and pests that are an issue down in the southern states are not an issue up here. The one that can be a bit startling when you first transplant your slips, um, you can get the golden tortoise beetle, which is really beautiful and will eat the leaves and make it look like Swiss cheese. But while it's startling and there can be a lot of them, the sweet potato vines have always outgrown them. They just grow so fast once they establish themselves that the beetles can't keep up and you'll have beautiful vines within a month. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, If you're growing your own slips, you can have issues with white flies or aphids. Just make sure that you have good ventilation where your slips are. And if necessary, you could use like, a bit of insecticidal soap or something or find some ladybugs but I think you you could generally also just swish the sweet potato slips once you break them off the sweet potato you can just like swish them around in water and that like knocks knocks them off you've never had any issues with rodents eating the sweet potatoes out of your field so I hadn't until last year I grew them in a greenhouse and I had major issues with chipmunks. I had four rows, two in the center of the greenhouse and two on the edges. And the edges were probably 30% eaten by the chipmunks. And they obviously go for like the nicest, sweetest sweet potatoes, which are the biggest. So yeah, yeah. it's always disappointing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My first year was really similar. I had a huge mound and ended up with incredible rodent they took all of my big tubers <laughs> so yeah <laughs> the vines looked okay but there was all of the big tubers were either partly or majority eaten yeah it's so disappointing i have had success when i've had major rodent issues in gardens just keeping the grass really short around it mm-hmm. it's a lot more work but it does help a bit but i've also heard of people saying that their sweet potatoes just get devoured by deer right before they want to harvest them. I've never had that problem, but... Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe the plastic protects them a bit. Okay. And you're mentioning diseases. Oh, yeah. Most of the diseases, if you have healthy slips that aren't carrying any viruses, you should be okay, but you can pick up diseases in storage as well. You can get black rot, And some of those can be avoided by making sure you cure right away and then keeping air circulation. But definitely, if you do have any disease show up, you should not grow slips from those. Okay. And so is there anything else that you would recommend for people or that you would like to add? I guess what we were talking about before, we were saying that there is definitely sweet potato breeding going on in the sort of industrial agriculture side of things. And there's patents on the new variety Radiance, but you can grow your own and you can grow your own varieties. So I wouldn't worry about purchasing patented plant life. I would just 
go to a local farmer and get your own and grow your own true seed, you do risk when you plant the same sweet potato over and over and over again from slips, it is a clone. So you do risk an accumulation of viruses and they're susceptible to mutations. So you might get a lower yield as you go on in generations. In industrial agriculture, they recommend only three generations. Hmm. So I think that that can be avoided just by making sure that you're only growing slips from extremely healthy plants or extremely healthy sweet potatoes from extremely healthy plants. Industrial agriculture would disagree with me on that, but we still have sweet potatoes today and they're being grown <laughs> all over the world. So I think just go for it. And I guess if you're feeling adventurous to try growing from seed. Yeah, growing from seed is a great way to increase the, your food security because if you do have a variety that you've been cloning and it's not yielding the yields that you once had from it, you have your backup of true seed to select new varieties from, sort of your insurance policy. So how can people find you? Uh, people can email me at kate at heartbeatfarm.ca or we're on Instagram and Facebook with our farm. Great. I'll include links to whatever you'd like in the, in the show notes. Sure. Well, thank you very much for joining me. I hope to speak to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Carmen. Thanks for listening. As mentioned, the links are all in the show notes. I've done a complete website overhaul, and some exciting changes are in the works. Check in regularly or join my mailing list to stay in the loop. Happy growing to you.